Hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? How many weekend warriors are out there that you spend a little bit too much time in the yard and you're feeling it today? I, I literally could not walk up these steps. I was feeling every step of pain. I got a chainsaw, which that was the first mistake. And uh, yeah, I got a chainsaw. I didn't cut my arm off yet. So Boy, I'm feeling, you think, well, yeah, I can go out there for, you know, an hour or two and then, and then, um, you feel it the next day. So when I got out of bed today, I was, <laughs> anyways, everybody say, ah, right. Just give me some. Okay. Good. Thank you. That's good. I am so glad that you're here today. And those of you who are watching online, we are in a series looking at just what did Jesus have to say about certain things and what we're, we're doing within the series. It's kind of like a mini series within the series. Uh, we're looking at what Jesus had to say about prayer. We started last week, and we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, or it could be called the Disciples' Prayer, because they asked Jesus, how, do we, how are we to pray? And in Luke 11, 1, it says this, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, disciples, obviously witnessing the example of Christ uh, in his prayer, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So there was this desire to want to pray, to know to pray. We all know that our prayer life is probably the most, one of the most important things in our disciplines as a Christian, but it's one of the, one of the disciplines that's the most difficult to do. Can, can we all agree that prayer is sometimes difficult to find that time to get alone and actually pray? Or when we do pray and when we do get alone, you tend to have your mind wander on other things. How many, we know we are so distracted and to sit and to find that time to meditate on God's word, to meditate in prayer. If you're, you know, if you've got young kids, it's like, you know, you get down and think, okay, we're just quiet, right? And sure enough, maybe they're in bed or it's early in the morning or it's at night and you sit down and you're there and you're in your nice, comfortable chair. You open up the word and say, oh, it's just me and you, Jesus. And all of a sudden, mom, now that's hitting me, you know, or whatever. So just to try to find that time is really difficult. What I want to do is I want to break down the Lord's Prayer because the Lord's Prayer is so important because Jesus shows us the heart of prayer and what's important about prayer. I think the problem is we look at prayer sometimes as a chore like something I have to get through. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we looked at prayer as something that's a privilege that we get to do? That actually it's something like when you're grabbing an ice-cold glass of water after you've done something like outside and now you're hurting and your muscles are all tense right now and you can't move and your back is killing you like mine is right now. But anyways, what if, what if you like, you're grabbing for that cold glass of water and it's just, it's just quenches your thirsty soul. If we could look at prayer that way, that something that quenches our thirsty soul to, to chase after God, that we see it as a privilege. This is the heart. I believe where Jesus is going is to understand who God is, to understand his character, and then to see the privilege we have to enter into God's um, presence. And so I want you to understand that as we, as we um, develop our personal time with God and our prayer time and our Bible reading, my prayer for you is after today, this would help you to develop, first of all, a mindset of how important it is and a privilege it is, and hopefully that it's not a chore, but it becomes something that is going to be water to your thirsty souls, the privilege that it is to enter into the presence of God. So what Jesus shows the disciples is, is what is essential to God? 
So how are we approaching God in prayer? And really, what are we focusing on? And I think maybe that's some of the roadblocks of what we're focusing on. And maybe we need to focus on the right things first. Because many times what we focus on is our petitions or the things we need to give to God or the things that are on our heart. I want you to notice how Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. Matthew, I want to look at Matthew's gospel, Matthew 6, verses uh, 9 through 15. And, and this is what he tells them when they ask him, well, how should we pray? And he says, this, is, this then is how you are to pray. Our Father in heaven, we went over that last week, and, and if you didn't get a chance, we do have our messages. You can go online, let's do it through a podcast, or you can go to our Facebook, and we do have the whole service online if you want to catch last week's message, if you happen to miss it. But he says, this is how you're to pray. Our Father in heaven, we talked about that last week. Then he says, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then listen to what he adds on right at the end of that. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Isn't that interesting that Jesus... and ends the Lord's Prayer with that little caveat about forgiveness. And we're going to talk about that because if we don't understand prayer correctly in our relationship with God correctly and the grace that God gives us that we don't deserve, then it's going to be seen and how stingy we are with giving grace to others. And that's all reflective of our relationship with God and understanding the character of God. So last week we looked at, at coming to God as our Father. And, and the first thing Jesus says is, our Father in heaven. And we understand that God is a Father to all who come to him. Jesus tells us just to come as we are. We don't come by our righteousness or our good works. We come as we are, and and Jesus forgives us. He cleanses us. He washes us, that we can now approach the throne room of God with confidence, knowing that God would hear us, and he's going to help us in our time of need, not because of our righteousness or anything that we've done, but because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we can come confidently before God, knowing he will hear us, and we can have an intimate relationship with God the Father. We're accepted as children through our faith in Christ by his wonderful grace that we didn't earn or deserve. Everybody said, amen. Thank God for God's grace and his mercy. So we address God as Father because he is a personal God who knows us and he knows our needs. So what Jesus says, you can address God as Father in this personal relationship with him, that we can run to him, that he wants to know us, that he wants to have a relationship with us, and we can have confidence that he is our Father, that we are accepted children, that we are adopted children into his kingdom because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And it's through Christ and his righteous works and our faith in him that we can now be forgiven and be cleansed and have a right relationship with God, that we were once enemies, but through Christ Jesus, we are now friends. And that is the simple gospel message right there of good news, that we are now friends with God because of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's another message within a message right there. I could speak about that all day. But we're accepted children through our faith in Christ Jesus. So we address him as Father because we are received as adopted children through Christ Jesus. So our relationship with God is not based on my performance, God doesn't expect something from us in order for us to be accepted by him. But notice what Jesus says next. First, he says, our father, just him as our father, that personal relationship that, can, that we can have with him. But then he says, hallowed be your name. And what Jesus does is he starts the prayer by showing us all the things that God is. He's a father and that his 
holy name is special. So what does it mean when he says hallowed? Now, we don't go around usually today, and we don't, you don't usually hear the word hallowed in a sentence. Um, you don't hear people using that often today. It's, a, it's an old English word. We really don't use it in our today's vocabulary. You don't hear people using it in a sentence. However, many of our modern uh, biblical translations still use the word. And the word hallowed, when Jesus says that, means sacred or holy. That God's, that God's name should be treated as sacred or holy. It means to revere or to be treated as sacred, something special, something not to be taken for granted. When you hollow something, you treat it with the utmost respect. So here's the balance that Jesus gives us. Yes, we are to come to him as a father who receives us, but let's be careful that we don't treat his name as something that is common, something that is common place. Jesus, you know, I'm sorry to say Jesus isn't your homeboy. Okay. I mean, I, 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 when I hear things like that, it bothers me a little bit because I understand people say, well, Jesus is relatable and he, he, you know, he's this to you. And I'm like, okay, let's be careful. Listen to me. Let's be careful that God is a holy God and that his name is to be treated as special and sacred. Let me just take a little rabbit trail for just, just give me this lenience this morning. I think in our world today, what we see is we take something that is sacred, something that should be treated as sacred, like the sanctity of marriage or the sanctity of life or the sanctity of our bodies. And if we're not careful, we can treat that thing as common. And the reason why I believe there's so much confusion in our world today, whether it's about who we are in our bodies and how we are created by God or in our marriages or are the things that we do in our bodies, well, it's my body, I can, I can do whatever I want with it, or the sanctity of life. I think what's happened is we've taken something that God sees is sacred and holy. And he sees our bodies as something that's sacred and holy that he has created. He sees your marriage as something that's sacred, something that's holy. He sees life as something that's sacred and holy. And what we've done many times is we've taken that thing that God sees as special and sacred and holy, and we've made it common. We've dropped it down to something that isn't special, that isn't sacred anymore. And we believe that God is the creator of us, that God created us, and that God wants to have this relationship with us, and that God doesn't want us to take the things that he has created and that he sees as holy, that he sees as sacred, and make them something that's common. And this is what Jesus says to us. He says, listen, be careful. Yes, we come to him as father, but recognize that our God is a holy God. Don't make it common. Because when we take things and we make them common, and we just make them commonplace, and we, take, and, and we just don't realize how important they are, what we end up doing is we take that thing for granted. And God doesn't want us to take our relationship for granted because of the things that he has done for us. And we have to recognize, listen, we need to understand it's not, about, it's not about hating ourselves, but it's really about hating the sin that's within us. And we need to recognize that, that Jesus comes and his grace is built upon the sacrifice that he gives to us that we didn't earn or deserve. And I think when we begin to make things common and we begin to say things, well, this isn't, well, what's the big deal? What, so what, 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 what does it matter what I do in my body? What does it matter? And God says, no, no, this is sacred to me. It does matter because I created you. 
It doesn't matter how you treat one another. It doesn't matter how you treat me as Lord. This thing is sacred. Because when we understand that God is sacred, we're going to understand his grace in such a deeper way. See, when I understand his grace is not earned or deserved, I understand, God, you did all of this for me when I was a sinner and that I still make mistakes and I still sin. But it's through your grace and mercy that I can find forgiveness through your son, Jesus Christ. See, when we, when we exemplify the grace of God and understand the grace of God, we need to also understand the grace that saves us from our sins. And so God says, listen, don't treat my name as something that's common, but treat it as sacred. And we understand that his name is special and his name is sacred and his name is above everything else. We'll understand that grace and the power of forgiveness. And we won't take his name for granted. Have you ever been taken, have you ever, in your life, have you ever felt like you've been taken for granted? Every parent understands this, right? You feel like sometimes, geez, my kids, I do all this stuff and I feel like my kids are, are taking me for granted, right? Isn't it nice when you just hear your child just say, hey, mom, dad, how are you doing? You're like, huh? What do you mean, how am I doing? When's the last time you ask, how am I doing? Or it's always like, hey, can I do? And it's so nice when you hear, hey, how are you doing? You almost have a heart attack. You almost fall dead when you hear them say that, hey, I want to know how you're doing. Is everything going all right in your life? You know, it'd be nice to hear that once in a while. Because don't we do that? We can take our marriages for granted. We can take our relationships for granted. And the reason why Jesus stresses this is he doesn't want us to take our relationship with God for granted. Now, I know that there are things that we take for granted in our life, right? And I know, I, I know like, we, we can take our, our cars for granted, can't we? I, and I can tell you why you take your car for granted. Because the minute you get a flat tire or your car doesn't start, what happens? Do you say, praise God. God, you're just so good. And, you know, listen, I thank you for my car. The tire's flat or it doesn't start. But, God, I, I just, I just want to praise you right now. What do we do? We complain. We're like, oh, my, why now? Like, of all the days that my car breaks down, i got to be at this point, right? Because why? We take it for granted. Have you ever got to a destination and you got there? Or have you ever pulled into work or your destination and you just said, God, thank you. Thank you for getting me to work. Praise God. You're so good. I love this car. Thank you for just getting... We, we don't do that. We take, it, we take it for granted. Or when the electricity goes out, right? Right? Everything's great when the electricity's on. And the electricity seems to always go out when we start to watch Jeopardy. I don't know why it is, but it always goes out then at the most inconvenient times, right? Because we take it for granted. We just assume it's always going to be on. This is what Jesus is stressing. Don't take God's name for granted. Treat it as holy. Don't treat it as common. So Jesus tells us when we pray, he says, don't be like the, the hypocrites. And what did he mean by that? He says, when you pray, when you come to God, don't be like the hypocrites. The, the meaning comes from a Greek actor who would wear different masks in a play. They like to, to you know, the, the hypocrites or the religious elite would love to pray and open to be seen by others. So what did Jesus mean by this, by the word hypocrite? He means, he means not being consistent. You're not being consistent. You're not being authentic. The prayers of the hypocrites are, uh, are not the same in the secret place. They want to be seen. They want to be recognized. A hypocritical prayer would be inconsistent. It's not authentic. A hypocritical prayer would not be genuine. Jesus wants our relationship with God to be consistent, to be genuine, to be authentic. See, the, the hypocrite loves to look good on the outside, but he's not really giving concern about what's going on in their heart. They only want from God. 
And Jesus says, I don't want your prayer life to be like this. Your prayer life is your connection to God. It's your relationship with God the Father. Prayer is a way of, uh, we can use prayer as a way of, of using God to get what we want. Now, let me just point the finger at ourselves for just, just a moment because we can all fall into this trap, right? When things are going well, when things are going well, when it's 60 degrees out and the sun's out and everything's wonderful, right? We tend not to go to God. And we really don't have a need for him when things are going well. It's when things begin to fall apart and all of a sudden we begin to pray and we begin to, to read our Bibles. You see, when we hollow God's name, what we're actually doing is we're seeking him first. We're, we're redirecting the priorities in our lives. We're just not coming to God with the laundry list of my needs. Now, we should bring our petitions to God, and God does care about what's on our heart, and he does care our, about our petitions. But Jesus says it's so much more than that. Prayer is about having this relationship with God the Father through Christ. So the question we need to ask, ask ourselves is, when we are alone, what do we ponder? When we're alone, what are we thinking about? Is God the focus or... Are things the focus? Is our mind distracted from everything else that's going on in the world? It's not wrong to ask God for, for provisions, but what's going on in our mind? What are the things that we think about? See, is our focus getting closer to God and worshiping his name? Because that's Jesus' emphasis here. He goes, I want you to reverence. When we reverence God's name and we treat it as sacred, what we're really doing is we're worshiping his name. We're putting him in the right position in our in our lives. So, we don't just pray when we're in trouble or we need something. When we hollow God's name, he becomes the focus of our life. I like this example in the Old Testament. It's found in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is, is hiding out in the wilderness, and, and God's getting ready to speak to Moses to go back to Egypt to release his children out of Egyptian slavery. And he's going to bring them eventually to the promised land. He's going to lead them into the desert, bring them out of Egyptian captivity. And God is going to speak through Moses. And, and God's going to use Moses as his leader. And it's interesting. Moses is out in the wilderness, and he sees this bush that's burning, but the fire's not consuming the bush. So this is a pretty cool sight. So he moves closer, and it's God that speaks to Moses through this bush. Now, I want you to see something. God establishes his relationship with Moses at this point. Because what God is saying to Moses, this is how our relationship is going to be established. And this is how I want you to relate to me. And this is how I want you to represent me before the children of Israel. So let's read the story because this is really interesting. Because God wanted to establish his name, his presence as something that was holy. Exodus 3.5 says this. God says, do not come any closer, God said. And he tells Moses to do this. He says, take off your Birkenstocks for the place where you are. I'm thinking he was wearing Birkenstocks. He said, the place where you are standing is what? It's holy ground. He says, take off your sandals. Yeah, have you ever wondered why did God ask Moses to remove his sandals? Why did he do that? Why did God ask him to remove his sandals? Well, we understand that he was on holy ground. But I want you to understand something here. It wasn't the place. It was the presence. It wasn't necessarily the place. It wasn't like Moses walked on and said, oh, here's holy ground. You know, all right, there's holy ground. All of a sudden, he meets with God. God speaks, and he says, okay, the place is holy because my presence is now here. Remove your sandals. It wasn't the place. It was God's presence. Here's the reason why. 
God is holy, and he didn't want Moses to treat this encounter as something that was common. Because this encounter with God is going to lead Moses the rest of his life. This encounter with God and how God wanted to relate to Moses would be the thing that would direct Moses the rest of his life. So by Moses removing his sandals was a sign of humility and reverence for God. God wanted him to reverence his name by removing his sandals. Now, if you enter in a place of worship in many Eastern countries, there's this practice of removing uh, your sandals, removing your shoes. Basically, what this means is removing one's sandals is a confession of this personal filth and defilement, that your shoes walking on the dirt represents defilement. It's a recognition of one's unworthiness before a holy God. What God does here with Moses is, Moses, you need to be careful because nothing unholy can come into my presence without dying. And he's establishing this relationship that, Moses, I want to have a relationship with you, but you have to understand that I am holy and you are not. But I will be with you, and I will walk with you, and I will deliver you, and I will deliver my children, and, I, and, I, and I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I will be your God. But listen, remember that I am a holy God. And because I'm a holy God, the place where you are standing is my presence. And that's what makes it holy. And so there had to be that separation of understanding that God is holy and we are not. Now, fast forward this to, 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 to Christ Jesus. We can now with confidence come before God, knowing that we will not die in his presence. And that's why there was all these stipulations with the worship in the temple. And that's why only once a year the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And he first had to make a sacrifice for himself because if anything came into the presence of God, they would die. Fast forward to Jesus Christ. Through Christ becoming our sacrifice and our substitute and taking our sins upon his shoulder and appeasing God and all his demands, Jesus fulfilled them. So through Christ Jesus, we can now come into the throne room of God, Hebrews tells us, with confidence knowing that we'll find time and our help. We'll find help in our time of need. Why? Because of Christ. He did it all for us. He paved the way for us. Isn't that wonderful? We have this relationship with Jesus that we can now come into the presence of God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So God did not want to, to be treated as commonplace. And it was unique because of God's presence. God's presence was there. Moses, take off your sandals and recognize your own defilement and recognize that I am God. I will be there. I will protect you. I will show you how you can have a relationship with me, and I will show you how you can approach me. But remember that I am a holy ground, and the place where you're standing on this ground is holy because of my presence. So Jesus tells us, he goes, listen, don't be like the hypocrites who, who didn't have that type of authentic relationship with God. It was more about them. Someone who has an authentic relationship with God treats their relationship with God as something that is hallowed. It's special. It's unique. It's something that's not casual. So Jesus tells us our true relationship with God will be seen in our personal prayer life and how we approach this relationship. Jesus tells us to go into our closet or a secret place to worship him. Because what we do in solitude reveals our heart for Christ. What we do in that quiet place, it really reveals our heart and our motives. 
And that's what Jesus says, the importance of prayer and hallowing God's name and revering him is really an act of worship on our point. Like, God, I just want to worship you first and thank you for who you are and allowing me to come in your presence through the precious blood of your son, Jesus. So here it is. Our solitude reveals our heart for Christ. So, so my question to you is, do you have a secret life of worship? Do you have a secret life of worship? That's what Jesus says. Do you have that secret life of worship? You see, before giving our requests or needs to God, we need to recognize God's holiness and goodness. Now, there's a reason why Jesus says this, I believe. Isn't it interesting that when we come into God's presence and we worship him, all the distractions of the world seem to get muted? Many times when we come into God's presence, I know for me, there's all this anxiousness in my heart. I have this, you know, these needs and these requests. And my prayer time becomes an anxious time. God, you got to, oh my God, how's this going to work? God, I just, you know, it becomes this anxious time. When we begin to worship God, it sets the precedence for the rest of our prayer time. And what God does is when we worship him, there, there comes this peace over our heart that says, God, you're in control. You're going to take care of this. I can give my request to you because I know that you're in control. And it brings a peace over our heart so we're not anxious. There's not this anxiety and this stress over our heart wondering, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? When we worship God, he calms our soul. He gives us a peace. So before we give, you know, God, our requests or our needs, do we recognize God's holiness and goodness? When I first come to God with praise and recognition for his holiness, I'll have the right attitude. I'll have the right, I'll have the right attitude. It's interesting that what Jesus says is at the end of the Lord's prayer, he says, listen, if you, know, if you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you don't, God will not forgive you. It's interesting that, that when we come to God in reverence to him, it humbles us. It humbles us. And we receive his grace through this reverence for God of who he is. And when that grace overshadows your life, you're going to be able to give grace to others. I, I, it's going to be difficult for me and my flesh to forgive others if I haven't received the grace of God in my heart. So what Jesus is saying, it's a practical way of saying, if prayer is real to you and your relationship is real and it's authentic, guess what? You're going to understand the grace that was given to you. When you truly humble yourself before God, and if you're seeking him in the right way, you're going to be so grateful for his grace and his mercy for saving you that you're going to be able to forgive others who have sinned against you. If I can't, then there's a disconnect between my understanding of what God has done for me. And I'm going to end up just coming to God, telling him what I need, not how do you change me? See, coming to God first and recognizing who he is changes my heart. And when he first changes your heart, it will redirect your prayer time. It'll redirect the way you relate to God. And your prayer time will not become a chore. It will become a relational thing where God speaks to your heart. He changes your heart. And then you're able to give your requests in the right attitude. That's why we are to hollow his name. So God doesn't want us to come worried or anxious. He wants to, us to give us his request without the worry and the anxiety of, of, of the world. So when I first worship God, something changes my spirit. And I, when I hallow his name, I have a peace. It changes how I bring my petitions to God. Now, one of my favorite verses concerning this is, uh, is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Many of you probably have this verse memorized. How many of you have ever memorized a verse? It's here, but it's not here. 
It's like, you understand it, you know, and like, okay, why don't I live it? I mean, it just travel 18 inches to my heart, God, right? I, I really want to practice this. And, and I know this verse, and, and, and I've memorized this verse, yet I have trouble practicing this verse in my own life. I've, but, I've, but I've learned something in the Lord's Prayer here. When I adore God first and I worship, worship his name, it permeates the rest of my prayer time. And this is why I love what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, listen, be anxious about everything. Stress out about everything. You know, it doesn't, he says, listen, how can he say, don't be anxious about anything? Does it mean that we're never going to have worries or stress? Absolutely. But Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but by what? Everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving, which is worship. Let your request be, be made to, known to God. And what happens? When I'm worshiping God and thanking him, that's when the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, if I'm not coming to God first in reverence and giving reverence to his name and recognizing who he is and worshiping him, guess what's going to happen? My prayer time is going to be very anxious. It's going to be real short. It's going to be real quick. And it's not going to be beneficial. There's not going to be anything that's developing between my relationship with God. So the question is, Pastor Barton, how do we do that? How can I apply this to my life? My, my heart for you is that your time with the Lord would be precious, would be sacred, um, would be something that you would yearn for, something that it just wouldn't be a, a check off the list of your day, but something that you would drive you as the deer panted for the water, so my soul longs for you, that type of thing. How can you do this? Well, I, um, Pastor Keller, Tim Keller, gives a great outline on how we can approach God and how uh, we can have a time of meditation and prayer of the Lord that's, that's effective. I believe that when the word of God is implanted in your heart, it mutes all the rhetoric in the world around us. And so we need that word. That word is life to us. It, it's, it's, it, it, the word, what the word of God does for us, it, because we know it's living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword, we know it's his word and it, it breathes life into us. The promises of God redirect our heart from worry and stress and all the things that we're hearing from the world and it redirects us back into that right relationship with God. So when I come to the Lord, you're my father, I can have this relationship with you and I'm going to hallow your name. I'm going to worship you. I'm not going to treat your name as something that is common but it's sacred and it's a privilege to come to your presence. So what I have for you, um, if you didn't notice, I have notes today. And if you didn't pick them up, I have for you note takers, I'm going to stress you out in just a minute, okay? So if you're taking notes, chill, just chill right now. I have all of this, all the scriptures, all the questions on sheets of paper as you walk out the door, it's on a podium right there. You can take that and you can follow this in your own uh, personal devotion to the Lord. So everybody take a deep breath, all you note takers, okay? So let me go through this real quick because I love this. And I think this is going to be so helpful for you to organize um, your own personal time with the Lord. Remember, God does not want you to live your life in reaction. He wants you to be proactive, and so many times we live our life in this reaction of like, oh, here's a stress. Now I got to go to the Lord. And what's the scripture that pastor told us? It's somewhere. Because uh, listen, when you live your life proactively, God wants you to seek him. Seek the Lord. Be still. Know that he's God. Seek him. There's, there's a fruit of righteousness that comes from us seeking the Lord and hearing his voice in our own lives. 
So how does this practically look? Well, let me give you how this practically looks. So in approaching God, in approaching his presence, here are some wonderful scriptures. As you read these scriptures, many of them are found in, in, in Psalms, but as you, as you ask him for his presence and help you as you read and as you pray. So take all these verses and go through them and just ask him for his presence and to help you as you read. And all these verses focus on the presence of God, the character of God, and who God is. So as you begin this, um, so this gets your mind prepared, your heart prepared to come to God's presence. As, as, as your Bible reading and your meditation, um, this, is, this is how a good way to study the passage. Read it three or four times. Just continue to read that passage three or four times. Make a list of everything it says about God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. List anything that it tells you about yourself. And finally, list any examples to be followed, commands to be obeyed, or things that need to be avoided. And then, and then the promises to be claimed. Is there any promises in there? And I love the promises of God because it redirects my mind from the voices of the world that, that God will never leave us or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And those promises can encourage you when you feel like you're battling, you feel like giving up. See, w- when this is all done, choose the verse or the truth that is most striking and helpful to you. And here's what I do. Here's what I would tell you to do. Take a, take a, that's why I love the cross. I the sticky notes. That was from our good Friday service. And we just had people fill out a sticky note, put up on the cross, all the, all the things that the cross means to them. And it's just one, if you ever have a chance, just come up and read some of those they are so encouraging, but I just left it up there because it's a good reminder of me of, of what a special service that was, but take a sticky note or something, put it in your car. Maybe there's a verse that just spoke to you that week and just let it be implanted in your heart. Put it, put it somewhere where you're going to see it often for me, the refrigerator, right? Just put it there, put it wherever you're going to see it. And just, that was supposed to be funny, by the way, no one laughed. All right. Um, just wherever you're going to see it, wherever you're going to read it, let it be implanted in your heart and just meditate on that passage all week. And then to meditate on the passage, write down an answer to the following questions. What does this text show me about God for which I should praise or thank him? And just thank him and worship him. Next, what does this text show me about my sin that I should confess or repent of? What false attitudes, behavior, emotions, or idols came alive in me whenever I forget this truth? And I say this to you all the time. We have to consistently keep preaching the gospel to our hearts. If we don't do that, how many know we're going to morph off into our own desires and our own selfishness? And so when you read the scripture, what does it say to your heart? How is this leading you closer to Christ? How is it helping you to forgive someone else? See, the gospel message, the good news is that Jesus came for sinners, which every single one of us are. That it was through his mercy and righteousness that we could find forgiveness and that we receive that grace and mercy. And by our faith in Christ, we're forgiven. But if I forget that, then I'm going to be really stingy with my grace. And I'm going to be really stingy with my forgiveness. So if I'm not preaching that to myself, if I'm not applying the gospel message to my heart every single day, then I'm going to avoid people. I'm going to not give grace. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to set up my own standard on who deserves it and who doesn't deserve it by how much they've offended me. See, I love this point because we can tend to forget the truth of God's word. So when you read through the text, what does it show you about your heart and your life 
in your behaviors, in your emotions? What does the text show me, show me about a need that I might have? What do I need to do in order to become uh, in light of this? And, and how shall I petition God for it? I like this. How is Jesus, how is Jesus Christ or the grace that I found in him crucial to help me overcome the sin I've confessed or to answering the need that I have? How does the grace of Jesus Christ help me in, in the situation that I'm struggling with? And finally, how would this change my life if I took it seriously, if I took this truth seriously and fully alive and effective in my inward being? Think about like, man, if I really did this, how would this look in my life? How would things change if I really applied this truth to my life? And then also, what might be God showing me right now? What is this first? Maybe it's speaking to some situations you're going through right now. And what is going on in my life that he would be bringing to my attention today? How does this first speak to something that you're going through today? And then pray each of the meditations, adoration, giving him worth and praise that's due his name. Confession, confessing those things that we've fallen short in and receiving God's grace and mercy in our time of need. Petition, giving those things to God that are heavy on my heart and thanking Jesus for his salvation. Pray for your needs and the pressing concerns and then take a final moment just to enjoy him and his presence. Thank you, God, for being there for me. Thank you for your presence. I believe when we implement these things into our life, it becomes something that's natural, something that we desire, not something that we just have to do, but something that we desire to do, that we see it a privilege to come to his presence. I want you to know that God wants to spend time with you. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. But it's our responsibility to be proactive in how we do that. And so may our heart's desire to be to serve him, to praise him, and to, and, and to want to have that relationship with him. See, that's why when we take communion, why communion is so important. Jesus says, I never want you to forget what I accomplished for you. I want you to remember the sacrifice that I made for you. And so Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the reason why we take communion as the family of God is we want to never forget the beautiful sacrifice that Jesus provided for every single one of us. And it's through his sacrifice that we can have a relationship with God. Once enemies, but now friends. And we can now have that relationship with God. And what a privilege it is. And so through the precious sacrifice, the blood of Christ, we can now enter into that relationship with God. Not timid, not like, oh God, you see my past. You're just going to strike me down with lightning. God, if you only knew my past, God knows your past. He knows all of our past. He knows everything we thought about this week. And guess what? We're still here, right? It's his grace and his mercy. And so when we come and we lay our hearts before him, God receives us, heals us, forgives us, allows us to have that relationship with him as broken and wounded people. He says, I know you're broken. I know you got problems. But why are you not coming to me? Why are you allowing those things to inhibit you from drawing close to me? Do you not realize what my son did for you? Do you not realize he bore all your sins, past present and future and you're not going to come to me because you're embarrassed or you're you're ashamed jesus took your shame and your embarrassment 
and your guilt upon his cross upon the cross 2000 years ago and it's through that grace and mercy we can now approach God in all our brokenness and shame and guilt and we can lay it before him and he says come and let me have a relationship with you so my prayer for you is that you would desire to be alone with God in that secret place not because you have Hello, to. Hello, Word family. Not because so I to told you to. Thank you not because Jesus is going to get you in a headlock. Make you, know you come into his presence. Command you have that first, relationship with your spouse, new, your kids. Talk to me because you'll have to talk to me, right? That wouldn't be any fun. But it's because of his grace and his love and his mercy that he desires to have a relationship with you and I. So let's come into his presence. And let's not take his name for granted. He's a holy God. And through his son, Jesus, we can approach him and have a relationship and know that our sins are forgiven and that he will instruct us and lead us in the way that we should go. Amen. Well, I want us to take communion together. You have um, your communion cup there. Um, obviously, the top foil re- uh, reveals the, um, the wafer, and you could just pull that back. And we'll do both at the same time. So just pull back your way, pull back the top layer, and then you can pull back the the juice to reveal the juice, and we'll take this together. Amen. These emblems symbolize Jesus' body and His blood that was given for us, and we recognize that it's only through Christ that we can be forgiven, that we can be healed, that we can have a right relationship with God the Father. And so it's all because of Jesus that we are made right today. So we're grateful for that today. So, Father God, we come before you, and as we hold these emblems in our hand, this wafer symbolizes your blood that was given for us, or your body that was given for us. The cup symbolizes your blood that was given for us, and we're so grateful for that. Thank you for what you've done for us. Everything you did for us, we could not do for ourselves. So, Lord, I just pray as we take this as the family of God that you would bind us together that you would unify us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That whatever is in our heart today, Lord, we give you access and we ask that you would examine our hearts today, that you would cleanse us anew and afresh. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your care. Reestablish our relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that you do receive us through your son, Jesus, and all he's done for us. So we are grateful for the bread that symbolizes Jesus' body. And this cup that symbolizes his precious blood. And as we take this together, we recognize that Jesus, you are Lord, and we find forgiveness through you in your precious name. Amen. Let's partake of both. We'll take the bread first.